you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Trey Robrock. Trey, you want to say hello? Hey, guys. Um, now, we've got you. You were on episode 338 of Ruby Rose. came out uh, last November as we record this. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to dive into how you got into programming and things like that. But before we do that, do you want to give everybody just a brief introduction, who you are, who you work for, what you do, all that good stuff? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm Trey Robrock. Um, I founded and am currently CTO of a company called Greenbits. Um, currently, a, about a 50 person company um, building point of sale and inventory management software for the legal cannabis industry. Um, we've been doing this for about four years now, so we're fairly far along and been just kind of growing with the industry as we go. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I think we talked a little bit about the interesting intersections there with business and, you know, the, the legal, not legal, whatever with uh, cannabis. And anyway, um, it's it's always interesting just to see, OK, you know, where does uh, technology and uh, law and business and, you know, a, a need for a solution all intersect? Definitely. Well, we're going to go back in time a little bit and uh, look into how you got into programming. Do you want to tell us that story? Sure, yeah. So um, ever since a very young age, I've been into computers. Um, you know, my, my dad had one of the early computers growing up in Indiana. That was very odd. Um, so I've kind of always been around them. Uh, and the earliest time I can recall with programming, I think, was with a... Uh, an IRC chat client. Um, if I remember right, it was called MIRC. It was a Windows-based software. You could basically write this like JavaScript-ish code inside of the uh, inside of the program, mm -hmm. and you could kind of like write write chatbots and and automate various things. And being a being a nerd and a and a young kid, I, I spent a lot of time on IRC. So that was that was I think my my first step into programming. Nice. So you wrote uh, clients for MIRC. And uh, yeah, how, how did you get around to then web development and Ruby and all of that stuff? Yeah, so so that kind of sparked the interest in programming. Um, and at that time, uh, kind of web development was the only was the only free version of programming. Um, you know, if you wanted to do anything else, it was like C and you needed to buy a compiler and, and things like that. Um, 
So I kind of got into the web, you know, back even before CSS was a thing. It was just HTML and, and barely even any any JavaScript at that point. Um, and I thought that was really cool, being able to, to type some code and then see something and then make it available on the internet. So that just kind of grew over time. Um, eventually, I started getting in heavily into um, into PHP when I learned kind of about uh, server side frameworks and and all the kind of cool apps you can build that way. Um, and I kept doing PHP through college at a consulting business in college that I never really did much with. Um, and where I got into Ruby was it was I think it was late in my senior year in college. I went to Twitter's first um, developer conference. And there, you know, I was I was still doing PHP. I think it was uh, the framework I was using primarily was Cake PHP, which, which if you're familiar with it at all, it's, it's basically Rails but PHP. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I met a bunch of people there that were doing this thing called Ruby on Rails, and everyone was doing it. And I'm like, wow, I, I should really figure this thing out if I want to get a job over here in the Bay Area. Um, so I went back home. I ported uh, an app that I had called Study Byte, basically an online flashcard program. Uh, from Cake PHP to Rails, and that kind of started my path into Ruby. And then I I got my first job in Ruby at at Outright, which was the last company that I was at, um, and kind of have have been a Ruby lover ever since. That's really awesome. It's funny. I I think a lot of people, um, at least that I talk to, they don't realize that the first version of Twitter was written in Rails. Yeah. Yeah, I know that they've moved on to other technology stacks since then, and I've I've had several people point out, well, they had to move on from Rails. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of information there, but it's it's interesting. And then, you know, you go and try it out. What was it about Rails that made you get excited about that over, say, Cake PHP or whatever you were using at the time? Yeah. Um, so I think Cake PHP and Rails both had the similar sort of. Um, um, convention over configuration mindset, which I really, really liked. Um, but then Rails had Ruby behind it. And and Ruby just as a language is is really nice. I love the ability to create create code that like a, a normal human could read and kind of understand what's going on. Um, you know, we have we have some DSLs in, in our app right now. We have uh, one of our biz dev guys actually just submitted a pull request to our, our code base the other day because it's a DSL that he can fully write and understand and he doesn't know anything about programming. Um, so it's that sort of stuff that I think is really cool with Ruby and, and is why I've always been so passionate about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm curious, what have you done with Ruby that you're really proud of? So the things that I, I always tend to be the most proud of in, in my Ruby work is, is building DSLs. Um, one, one of my passions is figuring out how to make sort of like automation and code more accessible. Um, so you don't have to know a whole lot of stuff in order to get into it. So like the ability for our biz dev guy to, to pull request our code base, is really cool to me. Um, I built a gem in the past on a, on an app that I was working on that basically created a, a nice, uh, syntax wrapper around the, the graphite API. Um, graphite's a, a graphing platform if you're not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I always hated the, the syntax of that. So I, I built a Ruby, language parser using treetop in order to do that. So it was very like Ruby-like syntax, but compiled down into the graphite syntax. So in general, like those are sort of the things that I tend to be most proud of is like making making code more accessible to people, which I think is is really kind of what Ruby did, right? It took it took C 
And it was a bunch of extensions to see that made that more accessible. And then you kind of take one layer on top of that. And I feel like that's, that's kind of programming and software development in general is just like building on top of the next platform until eventually it's so easy that everyone can do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, that's something that I get excited about as well. Just the, a, the automation and then the approachability of things. And it, in fact, um, it's funny because I've gotten into automation in my business and that's brought me back around to automation in, um, my coding. And so it's, Hey, you know, yeah, if we have a standard way of doing this and we can script away, we can program away part of it, then, you know, what kinds of things does that solve for us? And how much more productive, what, what kinds of a difference can we make? And I also just love the idea of, hey, there's a DSL that a non-code person can actually go in and use, and then they can make pull requests to make that better. That, that, that's really appealing as well. Yeah. I'm curious, as, as we talk about that, um, so uh, a DSL that a non-code person can use, what, what's the use case for that? Yeah, so um, given the 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 industry that we're in we operate in a bunch of different markets with a bunch of different compliance regulations uh-huh. um and and this guy that's on our biz dev team he's actually one of our founders uh he kind of has all the different relationships with the different government agencies and in one of our markets we needed to tweak some some sell limits so those things prevent people from overbuying at a, on a particular sale at a particular store um, so he needed to change those limits because there was an update to the law that he he learned about. Um, and, you know, just being a, a software company, resources are, are limited. So he he pinged the team was like, hey, when do you guys think we could get this done? And, and I was like, well, you could do it. Um, so I, I sent him over the the file and he sent a pull request uh, and basically changed how our, our compliance system limits things in a particular market. That's awesome. I just I love that idea of making something so approachable that somebody who's not a programmer can actually uh, you know get in and, and attack it. Definitely, yeah. And I, I feel like once you get to that point in the code, then it's very easy to build you know a web UI or an app on top of it mm-hmm. and make it even more accessible to the rest of your team. Yep, absolutely. So what are you working on now? Uh, now I'm you know I'm working on Greenbits, focusing on growing the team. We have a lot of a lot of hiring to do and a lot of different things to get done. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time on just kind of learning, learning those various things, which is interesting in, in, in it's sort of own unique way. Um, building, building a business is, is kind of like coding, but instead of code, it's, it's people. Um, so you're constantly trying to like figure out repeatable processes and how to, how to scale up those processes, except you're using, using human beings to make all this stuff happen, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot more challenging than coding. Um, so I'm spending a lot of my time doing that. Uh, I still, you know, get into the code and, and work on a lot of things. I spend a lot of time on our compliance system and making that more reliable. Um, those are primarily the things that, that I'm spending time doing. Yeah, I hear that. Um, you know, I, I wind up doing a lot of process stuff for the business and things like that. And you know, the business of podcasting that is, and, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, it's okay. How do I make this work in a repeatable, reliable, you know, whatever measure you put to it way so that things get done the right way? And, you know, I don't have legal requirements hanging over my head like you do. But at the same time, you know, it's, you know, can I go on doing what I'm doing if I don't do that kind of stuff? And uh, so, yeah, you know, where you actually have legal requirements that you have to meet and things like that, you kind of can't screw it up. Yes, it's it definitely adds a adds a higher 
higher bar to the things that we do. Yeah. Interesting. What what tips or tools or resources have you found that really help you understand the best ways to go forward with that stuff? Um, it's a lot of it's a lot of relationship management. Um, so we kind of have two different parties that we have to interact with a lot to figure those things out. Both the government and the um, the third party system that the government implements to build out their traceability system. Um, that's a lot of what, what Matt, that biz dev guy that I referenced before, that's mm-hmm. a lot of what he does is kind of relationship management there and figuring out the right people to talk to and when. Um, so it's a lot of, a lot of that sort of stuff and figuring out how to build a system that can interact really, really well and tightly coupled with another third party system that we also at the same time have to count on going away and going down and breaking in weird ways. So we have to both like have a very coupled system and a decoupled system, um, which right. makes for really weird challenges. Um, so that's, that's a lot of the stuff that we have to, we spend time dealing with. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about the hiring and st- stuff like that? I mean, it seems like most of the people I talk to who wind up in some form of, uh, developer manager role, you know, so team lead or, uh, CTO or head of engineering or however you want to uh, measure that. And it seems like the job roles all kind of blend depending on which company you're at. But how do you figure out how to do that well and hire the right people and uh, make sure that all the processes are in place for those people to get their jobs done? Um, how do you learn how to balance all of that stuff? Because when I got my computer engineering degree, they didn't teach me that. And when I actually was made a team lead, nobody taught me that. You know, I, they kept sending me to the programming conferences, but there was no programming manager conference to go to or anything like that. So how do you, how do you adjust to that? Boy, I wish there was someone that could teach you how to do that. Um, I'm, I'm by no means any sort of expert on this hiring. I always say is one of the hardest parts of my job. Um, Mm -hmm. we, we've done a lot of hiring up in Portland, which has proven a lot, a lot easier than in the Bay area. Um, it's a lot more competitive down here. Um, a lot of good talent up there too. But like growing the team quickly and how to make sure you have everything in place so that things don't fall over and how do you find the right people? I'm, I'm still figuring out the answers to those questions. I think it's, it's just a lot of trial and error. Um, and I, I personally am of the philosophy of, of uh, hire quickly, fire quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the, one of the worst things you can have for a small team is a bad culture fit. And I think finding finding that quickly and, and making the right decision for both parties is, is extremely important. And other than that, I think it's just a lot of, a lot of doing your best and working really hard and, and trial and error. Yeah. I, I think there's some of that. I think, I mean, you never really know what you've got until you hire somebody. So yep. if, if you don't hire well, you know, some of the time I think you're normal. Um, and then what I found is that if you don't hire well, a lot of the time, and this was a problem that I ran into just with, again, with the podcast stuff, um, then there, there's something that you've got to learn as far as how to find the people that you want. And, and so I've had to go and get trained and, you know, hire business coaches and stuff who could walk me through a lot of that stuff. And it's not fun to learn the hard way, but at the same time, it's kind of a necessary evil depending on where you're working and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, really interesting stuff. I did ask you what you were working on now. So um, I, I guess the only other thing that, that we have left is the picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? 
For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, um, let's see. So I have... I have three. One's one's more uh, more technical, um, and that's the Interactor gem. Um, we've been using that a lot recently. Um, it's a it's a Ruby gem that that implements the Interactor pattern, which is really nice for for building things. We use it a lot in our um, in our state reporting system, where we have to take our transactions and report that to these third party systems. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to kind of decompose complex. Um, interactions and then makes it a lot easier to test things um, which is really important in these systems where you have to reach out and touch third-party systems and those are traditionally hard to test you can kind of split that into its own little thing and then test that in isolation using crazy stubs or mocks or whatever and then test all the other things separately Um, so that's my first one which is more technical let's see my second one which is more entrepreneurial um, would be the uh, the Crush It audiobook by Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of Gary V. I think I mentioned that last time I was on here. Uh, I recently got his Crush It audiobook, which is the the first book uh, before this most recent book that he released. Um, really good audiobook. You can listen to it in a in a weekend or something like that. And he narrates it himself and and adds a lot more color to it than than you get in the book, um, which I thought was really great. Uh, and the last one is more of a shameless plug, my YouTube channel, T. Robrock on YouTube. I'm trying to get to 1,000 subscribers um, this year. Uh, talking a lot about this uh, automation, sort of life hacking and time schedule optimization stuff. Awesome. I was going to ask, too, you know, if people want to follow up, see what you're working on now, uh, see what, you know, you're learning and, and things like that. I guess the YouTube channel is a good place to go. Uh, do you have a blog or anywhere else to go look at? Uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter are the best places. Um, T-R-O-B-R-O-C-K on all three of them. All right. Sounds great. Well, um, did I do picks? I don't think I did picks. I need to do picks. So the first pick is a TV show that I've been watching. My wife actually started watching it and got me into it, which um, it seems like most of the time I'm finding TV shows because you know, people pick them on these shows, and so I'll go watch a couple episodes and then get her to watch them. She's watched about an, a season and a half of this and uh, got me into it. It's called Hunting Hitler, and it's a History Channel uh, uh, special. Now, um, I know that there are a lot of feelings about Nazis and World War II and the way the Nazis treated people. Um, you know, I'm not condoning any of that or anything like that, but this is a really interesting historical look at um at that basically the death of hitler and whether or not he may have actually escaped and not died in the bunker where 
um, he is presumed to have committed suicide. And so they go look at all the evidence, and it turns out that um, there was only one body um, recovered that they can find um, from the bunker, and it's a woman's uh, skull that they looked at. So they don't even have remains for Hitler. And so that that was interesting. And then they go into um, all of these recently declassified files. The The show started in 2014, and there was an executive order that declassified a whole bunch of stuff. And these these files are included in that. And so um, they go and they basically follow up the clues on this. And it was just it's just been really, really fascinating to to watch. So they they look at, OK, well, what if he escaped? You know, how would he have gotten out of Berlin? And, you know, where would he have gone and what evidence do we have that he might have been in some of these other places? And so they're all over Argentina and southern Brazil. Um, I've watched five or six episodes at this point, but I'm really enjoying the show and just kind of the historical look back at, you know, what are the possibilities here and how does that all come together? So anyway, uh, that's all just to to, uh, point out that, you know, it's, it's an interesting look into history and just to see what went on and you know they found tunnels and um all this stuff that you know it kind of indicates that he probably got away um you know i I don't know that he had it easy once he got away and it sounds like you know the trip across the ocean was probably pretty excruciating but uh anyway just just really really interesting look at what the evidence is there Um, and i'm kind of a history geek so it's kind of fun to just go and go okay so what if and how would have and all of that stuff so I'm going to pick that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also, so I've been working on my own little SaaS project, um, and I'm thinking about putting together a a blog about podcasting. And so um, I'm just going to go ahead and and put that out there. If you go to podwrench.com slash blog, now uh, for you, um, Trey, it's not up yet, but by the time this goes live, it will be up. Um, I should have some articles out about podcasting and things like that. Um, I'm putting together my own, uh, SAS app about podcasts or for podcasters. And so, uh, I have a system that I've been putting together that helps with the scheduling. And now I'm working on adding sponsorship management stuff to it, um, or revamping the sponsorship stuff I put into it, I should say. And, uh, overall just, uh, you know, just diving in and, uh, building a product that I wish I had had when I started doing this. And so uh, I'm going to pick that as well. Um, and then the last pick I have is if you're into react, um, as this goes out, you missed react dev summit by about three weeks, but you can still get the videos. So if you go to ReactDevSummit.com, you can buy a ticket and, uh, I think it'll be on the Eventbrite system, but you'll be able to then just go in and watch the videos, uh, from the conference. So if you missed it, I'm sorry. Uh, we're, we're probably going to be working on Ruby dev summit at this point as this comes out. So you can go check that out at rubydevsummit.com. And, uh, yeah, just interesting stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, finally, I, I know that it's not as timely because we're recording this in February. It'll go out in April, but, um, it seems like over the last year and, uh, you know, the most recent event that's caused a lot of people to kind of uh, yell and and get upset with each other over political issues and other issues um, is the school shooting that happened in Florida, which is really sad. But at the same time, you know, I just see people going and tearing each other to shreds on social media. And I just want to encourage everybody, you know, no matter which way you lean, 
um, to actually have a well-reasoned and calm conversation about this stuff. I know that it's easy to get our emotions tied up in this because, you know, people died that shouldn't have died. But the flip side of it is, is that we're not going to solve these problems by yelling at each other and then getting into a, a highly charged gridlock over it. And I think if we can understand where where each side is coming from, there are probably some measures that we can take that will make a difference. Um, you know, and so, yeah, just just think about it and talk to each other about it. Um, we also see this in the tech communities around uh, certain diversity topics and things like that. And again, you know, I, I think there's a kernel of truth on both sides. And, you know, and then a lot of that gets blown out of proportion one way or the other. And again, if we can just sit down and have a well-reasoned conversation, look, this is what I see. This is what I've experienced. Uh, this is the, this, these are the data around it. And this is how we can approach it. Then we can start talking about solutions that are going to work instead of just yelling at each other over stuff and then eventually winding up entrenching each other on, on the other side, you know, because then I'm more interested in winning and proving that I'm right instead of making a difference. So, um, at least that's where I worry about us going. And I think, I think we're smart enough to have a conversation about this stuff. So anyway, that that's just something I've been thinking about lately. I know it's kind of a deep, dark pick and there's not like a, go buy this book. But anyway, um, <laughs> There you go. So, um, and then, yeah, one last thing, uh, ready player one is coming out. It will have come out by this, by the time this comes out. So I'm just going to go ahead and in the future, uh, pick the book. So if you went and saw the movie, go read the book cause the book is awesome. Um, and then I'm hoping that, uh, if I say that the movie was awesome too, that I'll be right. So anyway, um, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Trey. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, come at you with another story. I think the next one scheduled is with Justin Gordon on React on Rails. So uh, definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all in a week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.